Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Good morning, everybody. Uh, We have enjoyed our worship thus far with music. And now we jump into the scripture this morning. I got to tell you, if you don't get excited this morning, it's like the old preacher said, if this doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. This is what we have been waiting for. Many of you said, Preacher, how much longer are we going to be in Revelation? Well, we are in Revelation 19 this morning. We have been through so many bad things and read so many bad things. It's easy to get down on this world. But my friends, today is the turning point. It's like when you see a good movie and you think the enemy is about to take the hero down. And all of a sudden, it just turns around. I think of... Back in the old days when they had the, the wrestling move where the guy would be pinned on the ground. They'd, if you know, know this or not, if they raise the hand a third time and it doesn't come down, they're pinned, right? And so they would always, the first one, hand would fall. Am I right, Wilton? Is that the way it goes? The second time, hand would fall. Third time, referee picks up the hand and all of a sudden, and then everybody just start. Am I the only one who ever watched that? Y'all look at me like I got five highs. Well, anyway, the truth of the matter is we all have a comeback story. And this is a comeback story to take them all. But too many people live today, they live life as if they are going to live forever. Some put off making commitment to Christ because they want to wait for something else. But the truth is no one, no one knows when their time is up. Very few people make decisions in light of understanding that Jesus is returning to this earth to judge it. Because Jesus is faithful and true, and he said he would return, and my friend, he will. You and I must do everything possible to make sure that we are ready. So my question is, are you? I encourage you to pick up a copy of God's Word. Uh, There's one in the pews in front of you, or you have your own copy, or you can look on your your phone or device, whatever you've got. But we are going to be going through Revelation 19 at a pretty quick rate because I want to get everything in. So the day of hope has finally arrived. We have made it through the messages to the seven churches, the revelation of the 144,000 sealed Jewish Christians that will persevere through the great tribulation. We have seen the rise of the Antichrist and his unholy team And we read about the literal unraveling of this world, the rise and the fall of a one-world religion, the fall of government and economy and the pending judgment of God. Now, my mother would tell me about the times as a little child I would stand at the door of our house looking out the glass storm door as I heard and started to see my daddy's truck coming up the road. And I'd, not, I'd be there just, you know, start doing my dancing and daddy's coming home and it'd be real exciting time. Some of you that have children, you know what it's like. You love to come home and see those kids excited to see you, right? That, that's a good, that's a good thing. Or your grandparents, you walk in and you know that the kids know you're going to spoil them to death. So they are excited to see grandma and Gigi and whatever names you got for your grandmothers. But my friend, today we see the return of Jesus Christ in all of his glory. He's not going to be a suffering servant, but the king of kings. The hopes of all who believe will be met 
in this moment. What you have dedicated your life to as a believer is about to come true in this scripture. And one day it will come true for real. <coughs> Excuse me. But Jesus is here today, not only in the literal sense, Jesus is among us, but also Jesus will return because he is faithful and true. So let's jump right in. The first thing that we see is that we must praise Jesus for his victory. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to get excited today because this is exciting things. It says in verse 1, After this I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, And it says, praise the Lord. Some translations say hallelujah. But praise the Lord. Salvation and glory, power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. He has punished the great prostitute. If you remember from our revelation previously, the great prostitute symbolized the false world religion. And it says, the one who corrupted the earth with their immorality... He has avenged the murders of his servants. And again, their voices rang out. Praise the Lord. Or hallelujah. The smoke from that city ascends forever and ever. We see here that this is a straight up praise of what God is doing. We see that what has been written and what has happened and what has come to pass is now leading to the best part of the return of Jesus. So we must join in praise with the 24 elders and the heavenly choir. Notice in verses 4 through 5 it says, Then the 24 elders and the four living beings fell down and worshipped God who was sitting on the throne. And they cried out, Amen, praise the Lord. If you don't remember what the 24 elders meant, If you go back to Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, they are referenced there. And they sit in a circle around the throne of God. And they represent the whole of all the people God has redeemed. So the people, the redeemed people of God are now crying out, praise the Lord. And then from the throne came a voice in verse 5 that said, Praise our God, all of his servants, all who fear him from the least to the greatest. <clears throat> now, the voice that calls out here is not named who it is. It may be Jesus, it may be God, it may be an angel. We don't know. And I'm going to tell you, in, in a, a matter of fact sense, it doesn't matter who it is. Because the voice is loud and the voice is proclaiming. And the voice is undeniable. If you've ever been at a sporting event or a concert, or somewhere where there's people everywhere. And there's this one voice that starts chanting something that you can get behind. And then before you know it, your whole section is chanting that. And before you know it, the whole stadium is chanting that. <clears throat> That's the same thing here. Someone chants, praise the Lord, hallelujah, praise our God for all of his servants. And everybody joins in. Folks, what we did this morning with our hymns and what we did... With the music and the prayer, this is just warm up of what we're going to do when we get to heaven. And then we see in verses 6 through 9, we can rejoice over the great wedding. He says in verse 6, Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean wave and the crash of a loud thunder. When you see it says a roaring crowd, can you feel the excitement 
in the sheer power of this verse. I remember there's been several times in my my life where I've gone to Christian concerts. I remember in particular when I was a youth pastor and I took some college kids to Atlanta for the, the Passion Weekend. Uh, that's something that Louis Giglio, Chris Tomlin, and all these these folks do. It's just a large worship weekend. And to hear the Georgia Dome packed with believers singing praises to our God and feeling the Holy Spirit there so thick that it's those moments where I think maybe we get just a little taste of heaven. And my friend, I can get that same feeling when we're sitting in this sanctuary right here singing a song that praises the Lord with people that love the Lord, that we love one another. It is a great thing. There is nothing about this praise that will be reserved and soft-spoken. I mean, it's not going to be like, Amen, we're in heaven. It's going to be, Woo! I mean, it's going to be, Now, excuse me, I should have had something to drink up here. But, you know, it's like, When you're watching a game, especially like a football game, and your team is in the red zone, and they have got two seconds left to win the game, and everybody is standing on their feet, and you're standing at home yelling at the television, Woo! and you're just waiting, and you can't wait, and the excitement is there, folks. That is the kind of excitement we're talking about in this passage. It is not First Baptist of the Frozen Chosen here, folks. Oh, isn't that just a blessing? We're going to be in heaven. No, this is something you are going to get excited about. Women are going to be throwing their wigs and keys, and men are going to be dancing jigs, and we're just going to be having a good old time because all of this stuff is coming true. And the height of praise on earth is only a dim shadow of what these verses describe. Again, we see praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This term, alleluia, or in this translation, praise the Lord, is a wonderful word borrowed from the Hebrew that only accounts for four times in the New Testament. And all four of them are found in Revelation. So when you see in the Bible, you see words that are repeated. That is for emphasis. This is not praise the Lord. This is praise the Lord, alleluia. It's exciting. And and I just... I wonder if we as Christians can get excited about this and get behind this. We can all get behind our favorite movements that we see on Facebook or on the news and all of our friends and and get excited about these things. But here we see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords coming back, and we must get excited about that. It says in verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these words are true that come from God. Now, the wedding offers a beautiful picture of Christ's return. We see that the wedding feast of the Lamb, who is the... The Messiah, that picture is used frequently throughout scriptures. In the Old Testament, Israel is seen as God's wife. In the New Testament, the church is presented as the fiancé of Jesus, waiting for his day. In the beginning of Revelation, we talked about this, is that we had the one world religion that was 
compared to a prostitute. And now we see the true bride of Christ as the church and Jesus Christ is returning to get the church. Now, weddings were back in the day. In Jewish weddings, usually what would happen is the man and the woman would be betrothed. You may have heard that word in the story of Mary and Joseph. They were betrothed to one another. Betrothed meant that they were, they have done everything except the official ceremony. And so when they were betrothed, the bride would stay at her house and she would do all of her things to get ready for the wedding, but she didn't have an idea of when the groom would come to get her. So that at some unannounced time, the groom would come get his bride and they would have the feast. So do you see the replication or the the illustration here is that we as the bride of Christ, that is be the church that is betrothed to Jesus Christ, our bridegroom, we are laying and waiting and preparing for him to come take us to be wedded with him for eternity. That's what the illustration of the wedding means. And today we are that bride waiting, waiting for Jesus to come to us to take us home to reign with him forever. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, said that one day, on that day, everyone will see the church for what she really is, the precious bride of Jesus. And he illustrates that the the bride of Jesus Christ, the church, is kind of like Cinderella right now. He says that right now we are mistreated, we are discounted, we are kind of put to the side, just like poor little Cinderella was. But if you know the story of Cinderella you know that one day she will appear gloriously. And what we see here with the church, one day the church, although the government wants to be ill will toward the government, though society wants to be ill will towards the church, though people want to discount the church, though people want to say the church is dead, folks, the church has been around for millennia and it will still be around. We see in verse 10 that John is corrected in his worship. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said, No, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God, for the essence of prophecy is to give clear witness for Jesus. So what we see here, Jesus was worshiping the wrong being. Back in the day when this was written, there were many false religions that would worship angels and angel worship was a big form of idolatry during that day so the voice corrects john and says look don't worship the angel worship the god that i represent and then in verses 11 through 16 let me catch my breath for a minute because we are moving jesus returns to a world that is torn apart Everything in the Bible throughout this recorded revelation is the very plan of God for our redemption has led us to this moment in the future. And this is huge. Jesus returns with an army from heaven. Here we go. This is what we've been waiting for. You got your pew belt on? Ready to go? This is exciting. Here we go. Winding up. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flaming flames of fire 
and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robes at his thigh was written his title, The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So, let's break this passage down just for a minute. I'm going to give you a few highlights of what some of these things mean. First of all, (coughs) we know because of Zechariah chapter 14. If you want to take a cross-reference note, Zechariah chapter 14, verses 3 and 4, tells us that when Jesus returns, he comes first to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. He will literally, this is not figuratively, Jesus, when he returns, the first place he comes back to is a Mount of Olives. Now, if you're thinking that sounds familiar, that's where his first sermon on the Mount was. If you read that in the New Testament. So here we see Jesus coming back to the Mount of Olives. Just across the east of the Temple Mount. And the rider on the white horse. What is the significance of the white horse? To have a horse in battle then was a significant advantage over foot soldiers. Many believe that one, one mounted soldier on a horse could deal death blows to ten foot soldiers. So one soldier on a horse could take off ten that were on their feet. And when you see the white horse, back in that day, if you rode a white horse, it gave an image of someone with honor, with power, speed, and most of all, with victory. (coughs) The title, Faithful and True, the The title of this message, The Arrival of Faithful and True. Just the fact that Jesus is called Faithful and True, this majestic title shows Jesus keeps His promises, including the coming judgment. Look, I'm all in for us to recognize Christmas and the birth of Jesus Christ. I am all in for us to recognize the death of Jesus on the cross for your sin and mine. I am all in to recognize the resurrection But I am also all in to recognize His second coming. Jesus is coming back. Wake up, church. Wake up, Christians. This is not a Facebook thread. This is not an opinion poll. Jesus is coming back. He is faithful and true. Everything He ever said He would do, He has done. So why would He stop here? But we don't live our life as if He's coming back. We live our life as if we can just live it as we want. And we continue to spiral closer and closer to the end that this Bible dictates. Jesus returns as a judge with a purpose of finishing God's plan of redemption by judging those that rejected Him. Now, there will be some people that may say, well, this seems too harsh to be a Jesus that comes back and judges everybody because God is love. And Jesus is love. Let me make you understand something. 
This is not some kind of quick decision that Jesus has made. The decision for him to come back and judge is thousands upon thousands of years of giving everybody an opportunity to accept him as their Savior and Lord. So at the time he comes, everybody has been given an opportunity. Let me ask you something. Those of you that have raised children or raising children, many of you have different ideas of what punishment is, and I would never tell you what the correct punishment is from the pulpit. But I do know this. I do know if you promise, you better give it. Because if you don't, you say, look, if you don't do this, I'm going to punish you. Okay, mommy. And then they go do it. Then sometimes they'll sit there and they'll get ready to do something you told them not to do. And they'll just look at you like, "Uh uh-huh. I'm going to punish you. But folks, if the punishment never comes, what do they learn? That they can do whatever they want and there is no punishment. My friends, Jesus says, don't do it because there is going to be a judgment and a punishment for it. And just as the precious blood of Jesus was spilled for your sins in mine, for him not to bring this judgment would say that the blood was unnecessary and inept to save you from your sins. If you want the God of grace, you want the God of love, he is also a God of wrath and judgment. People made their choice. At this point, people made their choice. They chose their will and themselves over Jesus. And it will be time to live by that choice, and reap the consequences. I don't know, are you like me sometimes when you go through a drive through especially nowadays, and there's two drive throughs What do you do? Let me pick the fastest one. That was moving fast. And sure enough, you get into one you think is going to be fast, and the car in front of you orders the entire left side of the menu. And you think, man, I picked the wrong lane. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, there will be people on the day of Jesus Christ's returns, they will realize they picked the wrong lane. Instead of the straight and narrow path that few walk, they walked a large, wide road that was easy, and it led them to their destruction. There will be a righteous war here. Remember, Jesus is not returning in anger. He's not judging people because he's angry. He's not judging them because he wants revenge for those that have been killed by those that are non-Christians. He is returning out of righteousness. He is ridding the world of sin because God's holiness and his righteousness demands it. Folks, sin and holiness cannot occupy the same space. Folks, if we want that perfect world that God's going to restore, he's going to have to rid it of its sin. And it says his eyes were like flames of fire. Folks, there is nothing Jesus does not see. There is no skeptic that will be able to hide from God. There are people in their pride that say Jesus is not real. And then all of this is a crutch. Their eyes will be opened at that moment. And they will have to live by their decisions. There is no false Christian that will be able to fake their way into heaven. Jesus' eyes pierce us to our inner souls, and he knows our deepest, darkest thoughts. And it says, 
On his head were many crowns. You may not have caught this, but this is why we sang today, crown him with many crowns. The last time the earth saw Jesus, he wore a crown of thorns, but not now, my friend. Now he wears a crown of victory. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know if they still have them, but back in the day, you go to Burger King and you could get a plastic, I mean, not a plastic, but a paper crown. You remember that? Y'all ever had a paper Burger King? You felt like a king, man. I can eat a hamburger. I'm the king. What does that mean? Nothing. The crown was meaningless. But this crown, crown him with many crowns. He will be the king of kings and lord of lords. Where it says he wore a robe dipped or sprinkled in blood. It could be one of two things. One, it's the blood that he spilled out for your forgiveness and mine. Or it could be the blood of his enemies that are being destroyed. And it says, and Jesus' title was the word of God. In other words, his name was the word of God. That doesn't seem that far-fetched because if you go back to John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning the word already existed. The word was with God. The heavenly armies, the armies of heaven, dressed in the finest pure white linen, followed him on white horses. Now check this out. From his mouth came sharp swords to strike down the nation. You may have seen pictures of of this warrior on a white horse and swords coming out of his mouth. It's not meaning literal swords. Five times in the book of Revelation, John emphasizes that Jesus' swords come out of his mouth. Jesus' only defense was his word. Jesus doesn't need a sword to come out of his mouth. He doesn't need a missile. He doesn't need biological warfare. He doesn't need any of those things because he is God. (coughs) And when it says that there is a sword coming out of his mouth, do you remember what the Bible is called in Scripture? The Bible is called a what? A two-edged sword. A great example of what this is going to represent. If you go back to the Garden of Gethsemane, When Judas and the Roman guards came to arrest Jesus, they had armor, they had weapon, they had torches. But all Jesus had to do was speak his word. Let me, let me remind you of what that was like. John 18 verses 4 through 7. Judas and the armies were coming to get Jesus. It says in verse 4, Jesus fully realized all that was going on and going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet them. He didn't run back. He didn't hide. He didn't tell the disciples, hey, cover for me. I'm out of here. He stepped into it. And he asked them, who are you looking for? He asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. And all he said was, I am he. The term I am, the name for God that we see when Moses is telling Pharaoh, who's going to deliver the Israelites? He says, I am. And look what it says in verse 6. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. My friend, God's word is the only weapon that he will use. And the words that we use to comfort us, the words that we use to, to grow us, the words that we use to share Jesus with other people, these will be the same words that will either bless us or judge us at his second coming. This Bible that you have on your phone or in your lap or on your table at home or somewhere, 
is the precious sword of God. It says he will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. By the way, all of that was predicted in Psalm chapter 2. On his robe and his thigh was written this title, King of, King, King of all kings and Lord of lords. This third name for Christ, which all can read, is displayed on the most exposed part of his cloak, right here on the thigh, where it cannot escape. Notice, the name has already appeared attached to the Lamb in chapter 17, verse 14. Jesus is the absolute King and Lord, full of divine power and authority. Also, we see there will be carnage when the beast meaning the Antichrist and his followers are judged. It's starting to get real, folks. It's going to get nasty. And praise God, if, if everything stands true to what we know about scriptures, we're, not going to have, we're, going to get, we're going to have good seats watching all this. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, your eternity is already secure. We're going to have to unfortunately sit here and watch the world fall apart. But it says in verse 17, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and all of humanity, both free, slave, small, and great. Nowadays, I don't know exactly how it works. Those of you that have been in the military could probably tell me, but my understanding is is that when soldiers and people pass away on the battlefield, there, there is a lot of care taken on getting whatever they can back and treating it with respect and dignity, and I'm glad they do that. But back in the day when this was written, back in the day when it was old school, I guess you would say, whoever died, that's where they laid. So I want you to get the gruesome picture of what this looks like. The people that have rejected God, their bodies will be slain and laid all over this world. And heaven says, look, here's a feast. Go after it. Many of you have driven down the road, especially if you live out in the country. And unfortunately, there might be an animal or a deer or something that gets hit on the side of the road. And you'll see all kinds of old nasty black vultures feasting on it. Multiply that by a million and you'll get an idea of the picture that this paints. And the fact that the angel standing in front of the sun, you could see that the angel was brighter than the sun. I I do know this. If you look straight at the sun, you will burn your eyes out, right? (coughs) This angel was so brilliant, it outshone the sun. Yes, it will be gruesome as it sounds. But the good thing is, we see in verses 19 to 21, Jesus and his army return. It says in verse 19, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. This literally means that there will be nations and military powers, and principalities that are actually going to try to muster up all of their smart bombs and their drones and their missiles, and they're going to try to take on 
Jesus as he returns. The same Jesus that will just speak a word and it will all go in a bad direction for them. It says in verse 20, And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophets who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who have accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Let me translate that for you. It's hell. Hell is in the Bible. This is not the bottomless pit where the the false prophet and the Antichrist came from. This is their final resting place. The fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by a sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse, and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. It seems like the only people that make out good, or the only things that make out good for the coming of Jesus, is the vultures. They get a good meal. This is the last battle in history. The beast, the Antichrist, the false prophet, have all been defeated. Man waged war against God since the dawning of sin in Genesis. And all of the world governments and leaders have been defeated in their pride. They believed that they could defeat God. And now they lie deteriorating everywhere. They believed that they could triumph God's word. They believed that they were more of authority than God was. They were wrong. But here's the truth, folks. There was never a real fight anyway. The victory was already won through Jesus' death on the cross and the resurrection of his tomb. All the evil forces that have destroyed God's people for centuries have still yet to take God down and they never will. The fiery lake of burning sulfur, the lake of fire is what we normally consider hell. It is real and there is nothing more important than avoiding it. I'm sorry, but if someone tells you that hell is just a metaphysical understanding of what it means to be depressed or something, I, I, I don't get what they're saying. Hell is a real place. If you believe in heaven, you've got to believe in hell. And if you want to go to heaven, you do not want to go to hell. Many churches don't preach hell. I don't think we need to dwell on it, but folks, it's part of Scripture. Now, back in the day, many of you, your parents and grandparents, would go to tent meetings. Or they would go to churches like this where the preacher would be red in the face. I may be red in the face. But they would do what they call hellfire and brimstone preachers. And excuse my friends, but they would try to scale literally try to scare the hell out of you. And make sure that everybody, before they knew, before they left that meeting, that they knew that they were going to heaven. Many of you were saved under that type of ministry. And don't you thank God for it now? Folks, if we want to soft sell hell as something that's desirable or something that is, is not part of, of God's plan, we are doing a great injustice to people that will be deceived at the second coming. This lake of burning sulfur is, as I said, different from the pit of Revelation 9-1. Satan will join them there soon then death and the grave will follow. Isn't it great to know there's going to be no more death? I can't stand funerals. 
I can't stand losing people I love. And one day that'll be over. So in conclusion, I would say this. As we have sped through Revelation 19, I guarantee you, there is a lot more out of this. If you get your own resources and commentaries and whatnot, this has just been a, a quick run through. But you get the picture, don't you? Jesus is coming back. He is faithful and true. And judgment is coming for those that reject him. So my friends, if you are on the fence, if you're trying to get your stuff together, I would encourage you to do that as fast as possible. Because I'm not saying when this is happening, but I'm saying as we look around, and every, every generation says this, but it's true. It seems like we are heading headlong into this type of reality. Those of you that are parents and grandparents, pray for your kids. They may be the ones to see this. We don't know. But too many people live life today as if they'll live forever. Don't put off a commitment to Christ because you want to try one more thing. I'll live for Christ when I get older. You're not guaranteed that you're going to get older. I'll live for Christ and I'll get my kids in church when I get older. How's it working? Don't put off what you want to do for God today because we are not getting our next breath, folks. And folks, once you take your last breath here, your decision and your fate has been made. No do-overs, no respawns, no mulligans. That's it. Jesus is faithful and true. He said he would return and he will. I pray that you do everything you can to make sure you and your family is ready. And it starts today. Do you know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know that turns you will welcome it? Do you know that it doesn't mean that you're perfect, but it means that that blood that he spilled has covered your sins and you will never have to go through this. And do you have somebody that God has placed upon your heart that you want them to make sure they know this? Because friends, to get really beautiful as we continue the last few chapters of Revelation. But it doesn't take away what it took to get here. Look, we, we can live in the pages of Revelation and speculate about when Jesus is going to come back and who is what and how this played out. But to me, that's just mental gymnastics. We'd be more benefit. We, we would be benefited more if we focused on what happened in Genesis through Jude. And about what we can do today. Because folks, Revelation, that template has already been set. Do what you can today to prepare for it. God, thank you for this message. Thank you for your word. And if there's one person here today, Lord, that does not know for sure if they were to die today, that they would spend eternity with Jesus, that they would be able to miss all of this, Lord. That they've been fed a lie and they realize that Jesus, you are faithful and true. And they want forgiveness of their sins. They want to do over. They want to be right with you. May today be the day that they come forward and pray to receive you. Or maybe they come forward for baptism or just want to come to the altar and pray. However you move, Lord, you'll get the glory for it, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?